Today is the end. It is the end of this sermon series that we have been on, on the three letters of John. We've called it Letters of Love. Uh, this is the 19th sermon since Easter. Uh, so at the week after Easter, we began this series, and we've spent 19 weeks just sorting through all of these thoughts that the Apostle John gives us, mostly in 1 John. Uh, and then we spent last week focused on 2 John, and then today we're on 3 John. Uh, and just like I, I told you this last week, and I, I kind of disclaimered for you that last week and this week we're going to be a bit different in kind of the approach that we take on it. Uh, but we're going to handle this passage a lot different than we handled the first letter of John. Uh, I'm really going to use today to kind of springboard us into the fall and especially into what we're going to do in October uh, with missionaries uh, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, um, again, we're coming out of just an absolutely, really the most fruitful summer our church has ever ever, ever had. I know August is kind of a, a lull time. People take a lot of vacations, so you may not realize it, but like we had the most fruitful outreaches, the most fruitful events, the most fruitful church services. It's just been really, really, really fantastic uh, leading up to this. Uh, and so, and, but as we prepare for fall and as we're pr- praying about, God, what are you going to do this fall and what's going to take place this fall? And in anticipation for that, I really want our church today to really look outwardly. Like look beyond what's happening here, even though there's so much happening here. That's why at the very beginning of service, I played for you a video of our friend Jerome, who's doing something really cool in Lansing that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. That's why we highlighted uh, Kenny and Deborah and what they're doing in Haiti. So what we're going to do right now is we're just going to dive in. We're going to read this entire book, and then we are going to uh, move on. So we're going to look at the book of Third John. All right. Can you just follow along just with me on the, on the screen just through this um, through this reading, it'd be good. It says this, 3 John, just one chapter. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it, uh, may, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So what, what he's saying there is your soul is, in, he's rejoicing for how healthy Gaius' soul is. And he's saying, man, I hope you, your body's just as healthy. I hope that, you're, that you can be in health through that. For I rejoice greatly when, uh, when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And then this is such a crucial line. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their way, or on their journey. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner that is worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So when you support somebody doing the ministry, you are a fellow worker with them in that ministry. And then he gets, has to come down on somebody, he has to bring the hammer down on one of these guys. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he also refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. It's the same as in 2 John, literal mouth to mouth. We will talk mouth to mouth. 
Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all you've done this summer for our church. Thank you for all of the people who have been co-laborers with you by co-laboring and partnering with us and have helped us to do the work of the ministry that we are able to do in the largest capacity we've ever been able to do it uh, this summer. Lord, we want to be that the same, we want to do the same for others, God, is what we're going to kind of address today. But Jesus, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that um, your spirit would be evident in this room and in this place and that everything that you would have me to say, Lord, God, Holy Spirit, let me say that and that alone and let everything else fall to the ground before it ever even comes out of my mouth. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you. And it is in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I, I thought a lot about this. I read this passage uh, so many times over and over and over again. And I thought about our church and I thought about our summer and it was a really good summer. And I was thinking about how do we continue that and how do we just keep it all going? And you know what? I, I, I think you can all probably agree with me on this, but I really want to see our church grow. I really want to see it grow. And, and, and I don't think you'd be here if you too did not want that, if you didn't want to see our church grow. But I really, as I thought about this in my spirit, um, I, 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 I realized something, and I'm going to just sort of say it in a minute, and then I'm going to kind of build off of it. But and what I'm going to say to you, it, it, we talked about this last week too, it takes everyone Whatever it's going to do that's going to make our church be what it's supposed to be, it's going to take everybody. It's not, if Don and I are the only ones that do it, it's not going to happen. If the worship team's the only one that does it, it's not going to happen. I mean, at least it won't happen at the level that it, is, it could happen and that God wants to work through it. It's only going to come if everybody does it. And, but this is what I was thinking. And I think, man, Courage Church needs to be, and maybe that's not even the right way to say it. Maybe I'd say Courage Church, I would love to see Courage Church be a place that grows by building other people up. We, I think we should work to build a church that grows because we build up people who aren't even here. We build up people who maybe they're in other places, maybe they're in our community and they don't want to come to church, but we can help them, we can build up their lives, we can edify them, we can make them better. We were just talking about this in the hallway. Um, it's like, how can, we how, how can we focus so much on other people that it just becomes so magnetic to the sea. I, I think a lot of people, they struggle with the fact that Courage Church is so outreach and so like out there. Like we're always, they come in here and they're like, they, they're expecting to have like a, you know, a f amazing worship service and hopefully they get that every time. Worship's amazing. Hopefully they think the word is, you know, edifying to them. But then they get challenged to like go do stuff and it gets kind of scary and we have to get kind of past that. We're a church that moves and takes action and works hard to make other people be built up. And I'm very convicted about this, and here's why I'm convicted by this, because I don't always do it, because it's extremely, extremely, extremely hard to do. It takes an unbelievable amount of sacrifice to be this. But ultimately, this is the heart of the letter that John uh, wrote to his church, or that he wrote to Gaius and the people that he's over. Uh, he, it's all about building up your church by building up others. What we could describe what we just read, we could describe it probably best as a pastoral letter of recommendation. What it is, is he's, he's, he's recommending that this church show hospitality to the missionaries that are coming through the church. And, and, and I do want to say this to you guys, um, especially for you who were here last week. Um, and, and remember what we talked about last week, John does give warnings when it comes to things like hospitality. Um, he's, he, he, and the reason he does that is 
quite frankly, because there's a threat involved. But here's the thing that you have to remember. No matter what 100% of times in your life, when hospitality is, what is, is the direction you're going, there will always be a threat involved. 100% of the time. Now, in what John was showing us is that the threat was spiritual in Second John, so he had to be really careful with who he let in. And from us, I would say, if the threat to you is spiritual, or if the threat to you is physical— um, I, I don't think you necessarily can apply all the same principles that we're learning about today. We have, people have children, they have families, that's a reality. But the reality is, is in most cases, the biggest threat to us when we're hospitable to people is not spiritual, it is not physical, it is comfortable. It's our comfort. We don't want to give up something that we've worked for. We don't want our lives to be disrupted, so we don't do things. And in this letter, John, he's, going, he's writing this letter ahead of these people coming. He's giving these approval for these traveling missionaries uh, who are coming through, these ministers that he knows are coming, and he's asking Gaius and the others in the community to continue to welcome them just like they've been doing. And then John, after that, directly addresses this man named uh, Diotrephes. And because Diotrephes had not been hospitable to people. And he was a man who was, he was demanding to be in charge. And he did not acknowledge even the Apostle John's authority, as it, as it says. So John says he's talking wicked nonsense. He's kind of all over the place. He's refusing to welcome workers. And that's a really, really big deal. It's a big problem because hospitality, it, it, especially in that day, it was the blood flow of the, of the Christian church. It was what made them so different. It's what made them stand out in a world that very closely guarded itself against strangers. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But one thing that I love about this, I'm reading this passage over and over again, and I realize how genius John is. He covers every single base. He's such a good communicator. Like, we don't even realize it when we read it. We're like, but when you actually like study that context and what he was actually saying and the people he was writing to, you're like, this guy is brilliant. He's not just trying to call out diatrophies, which he is doing. He's actually trying to set a course by which the church that he is writing to can follow in order to, to cultivate a very, very healthy community. And beyond that, how they can see miracles worked in their own lives. So I want to just explore this very briefly, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time on hospitality. But verse 9 says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, he does not acknowledge our authority. And for those of you who have been with us the whole time in this series, we've said this a few times, that one thing that John, um, that we see in John is, first of all, we know that he's very old by the time he's writing these ancient letters. Uh, and just like in 2 John, he began this letter by saying the elder. Saying the elder um, to Gaius. So he's saying, he's, he's introducing himself as somebody who by the life experience alone that he has had, he is qualified to write to and to speak into the lives of the people that he's writing. It's very important. And we've talked several times in this series about the way that John's letters reflect the way that age has actually perfected him in love. Um, we talk about how he didn't always used to be as loving as he was now, but as he got older, that became more and more perfected. And he reflected, like it's like almost he's, he's writing and he's reading and he's thinking and he's reflecting on his life and he's reflecting on his time with Jesus and everything that Jesus did. And he's realizing more and more, wow, love is the centerpiece to all of this. It's got to be the main thing. It's the central, it should be the central theme in all of our lives. Well, even in this line, which most of us read it and we, we're like, okay, this guy just needs to get thrown out of the church— John can relate to this. John can relate to being a person who tries to put himself first. In the early days, Jesus and his brother James, uh, they, they went to Jesus and they asked Jesus this question. They said, Jesus, can you grant us this one thing? Jesus says, what do you want? He says, can you grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory? 
John tells Jesus, I want to be first. Make me first. Make me and my brother first. I want the right hand of the throne next to you. Because human nature is that we want to be first. It's we want to be a star. We want to get all the credit. Diatrophy's attitude was one that John had to work out in his own life years before this. It's very easy to make this guy out to be like a bad guy, like, oh man, he's, we would never do that. But John says, when I, if I can come there, I'm going to confront him to his face. I'm going to address it. He, I'm, I'm pretty sure when he addresses him, even though he's going to probably be strict, he's also going to be very loving because he's been there before and his entire life has been created. He's been learning this love over and over and over again. When, but the thing that's so crazy is this. When James and John went and they asked Jesus that question, Basically, what Jesus has to tell them is, you do not understand what you're even asking me. Because they think they're asking for power, but really they were asking for death. Jesus knew where he was going. And he knew that he would have to do it alone. And you know, I can only imagine John, who was one of the very few people who were there with Jesus when he wasn't on the cross with Jesus, but he was there when Jesus died. He was at the foot of the cross. He was right there. He was watching. I can only imagine him in that moment looking up to Jesus' left and Jesus' right and remembering what he had asked of Jesus and suddenly realizing what it was that he was asking for and maybe even realizing in that moment that Jesus loved him so much that he did not give him what he asked for. But watch this. Back in Mark 10... Jesus goes on to say this. He says, you know what? Most people think that power is the ability to lord over other people. But then he tells his disciples, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. But look at what he says in 3 John. This is, this is kind of the main verse in 3 John. This is like the heart of it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And then from there, on verses 5 through 8, John describes the things that this congregation had done really, really well. The things that he's writing to affirm in them. He says, you are faithful to strangers. You send them off on the next part of their journey better than they came. Keep doing that. Just like what Jesus says in Mark 10 when he says, if you want to be great, you got to serve. John says, this is what it means to walk in truth. And this is why I'm so proud of you. It's not accumulating all the things that you ever wanted. It is not even having all of your dreams come true. It's hospitality. It's serving somebody else. It is laying aside your own preferences for the sake of including others and for the sake of blessing others and for the sake of benefiting others. The world ultimately will not be one by people who live their lives trying to build up their own empires and build themselves something. It will not be won by empires of violence and people who force hostile takeovers. Even though sometimes in our world they can create an illusion of being in control for a moment. Jesus says it is the meek who will inherit the earth. The ones who learn to control their strength for the sake of the greater good. God is going to hand the world to the people who, rather than using their strength to command control over people, are willing to lay down their strength in order to win people. And there is a very, very, very big difference between those two things. And John writes here that there is nothing that gives him more joy in the entire world than seeing his children doing this. 
doing this for other people. He tells this congregation in this church, you guys absolutely got it right when it comes to the way you showed hospitality. I gave you this definition last week, and we're gonna, I'm going to explain it better today so that you actually really understand it. But I love the way that um, Bruce Molina gives this, this definition about what hospitality was in the, in the Mediterranean world that John was writing in back in ancient times. And this is what it was. Is hospitality is actually the process by means of which an outsider status is changed from a stranger somebody on the outside, to a guest, somebody you've welcomed into your home, somebody who you've welcomed into your community. But you have to understand what this meant in that culture if you're going to understand what he's actually asking of these people. Because most of us, we think of hospitality, we think of my friends are coming over for dinner. We're hosting my family. We're having Thanksgiving at my house. We think that's what we think. Everybody's coming over. Like someone visiting that we already have a relationship with. But that was just expected in those days. Of course you would be doing that. Of course you'd live life amongst your family and amongst your friends. That's just normal. Hospitality was something that you showed a stranger. Someone you did not know. And that's what made it so powerful, and that's what made it rare enough that it had to be specifically taught to people. It was the way that you welcomed someone new into your community, into your family, and into your life, and it was something that most people resisted. In fact, strangers were often treated like they weren't even human when they come into a new place. They did not have any rights in the societies that they entered into, and they often entered into those societies at, quite a, at a risk to themselves. It was, it, was not a very, it was not exciting to do. It was scary to do. As awful as this sounds, when a stranger would enter a new community, typically the community would decide, do we kill them? Do we send them off as quickly as we possibly can, get them out of here? Or do we receive them? And if we receive them, that means we're going to put them through an extensive amount of tests to figure out whether or not this person is a threat to our community physically, whether or not this person is a threat to our lives that we've worked so hard to create, or if this will, person was willing to actually adapt to our culture and take on what we know and what we do and how we want to be. Because when you accept someone new into your community or you welcome someone into your home, there are all sorts of risks of ways that the new addition of that person will disrupt your current existence from comfort all the way to safety. So in that world, hospitality had to be a process. But John, he's trying to cut through that process. He's trying to this, write this letter saying, just trust me on this. I put my name on the line. Accept these people. Love them while they're with you. Learn from them. Pour back into them and send them off better than they were when they came. But again, the thing we've been asking ourselves this entire series, because this letter is an ancient letter to an ancient group of people who the culture is totally different, well, what does it mean for us? Because our world is a little bit different than their world is. We still deal with a lot of the same issues, but it's a little different. But this is one area in my life that I can actually speak to with absolute clarity using just some of my own stories, which I don't always do, but I'm going to do for you today because hospitality changed my life. It utterly changed my life. In fact, watching other people be hospitable was one of the greatest teachers I had in my entire life. So some of you guys know I used to play in this band, and we used to travel around all the time. Really, we did this for years. We traveled around, we played music, and what we did is on the weekends, we'd usually play like small clubs and venues and events with other bands. Um, but then whenever we could book a church, we always would do that. 
normally like on Wednesdays or Thursday night youth groups, and then we would do Sundays when they would actually let us come and do Sunday services. And so we play these shows, and that the churches would often take offerings or they'd give an honorarium to us uh, because those people believed in what we were doing. So they'd actually rally around and be like, well, you're not just playing music, you're ministering and you're reaching people that we're not reaching, so we're going to actually support that, we're going to get behind it, and we're going to back you. Right? And so even though our objective was never just to entertain Christians— it was those stops at those churches where we would perform and we would teach and we would interact with students. Those were the nights that allowed us to minister the whole rest of the week to people in broken places that weren't in the safety of a church or a Christian venue or club. Because the churches believed so much in what we were doing that they supported us and it allowed us to keep going. And along that journey, we have many, many testimonies, guys, of kids who came to Jesus. People who, you know, I'm just going to show whatever, and then they leave, and they leave with Jesus. They meet Jesus at these places. People who came to an event angry, lost, broken, feeling like nobody understood them or was even there for them or was willing to connect with them, and they left that place feeling connected. They left that place feeling loved. They left that place feeling changed. But through all of that, there were people who had our backs. And we meet people in one place, And then they would open their house to us, just like this. And then they would call their friends a few towns away, just like John writes to Gaius. He says, hey, these people are coming. Would you let them come in? And then we would go to the next place, and then a family would support us. That's the way that we met Kenny and Deborah, the missionaries that now we get to support. That's why I was so quick. As soon as they became missionaries, I'm like, we got to support you guys because of how much they've been hospitable to us. So we support them now. We played a show in Jackson, Michigan, a couple hours from here. And there was a church from Colorado Springs that was doing a mission trip there. And then they loved what we were doing. So they brought us to Colorado. They went to Colorado. And then this youth pastor skateboarding guy from California was there. And he loved what we were doing. He brought us to California. And then when he got to California, he calls Kenny. He says, hey, will you take them for a little while too? So then Kenny takes us for a little while too. That's how we met them. And they were all living in California. So they met us. And then without even knowing us at all, they opened their home to us. There were six of us that first trip. 18 years old, six of us, and they treated us like we were family. And if they did not open their home, then we would have had to go home. We would have had to leave. We would not have been able to do the work that we felt like God was calling us to do at that season of our lives, had, and we would not have been able to reach the people that were reached during that time. But even today, and you've got to understand this, like, this concept, because this is why people don't help people. Anytime a stranger comes into your life or anytime a stranger comes into your community, they are instantly a potential threat to your way of life. And I'm not saying that as, oh, we should protect ourselves and we should be threatened by outsiders and we shouldn't engage them. No, quite the opposite. We need to welcome people. But the reason that we don't welcome people and the reason that we justify that to ourselves is because the truth is, no matter how you look at it, those people are a threat. And you've got to be willing to risk something to help someone else. Every single time. And this is what I mean by that. For Kenny and Deborah, to let my friends and I come stay at their house for what they thought at first would maybe be a week. It ended up being two months. And then it was two months another time. And another two months another time. And a few weeks another time. And then Mary Dawn. And then we go there and we live with them again. Just kept going and going. For them, even if they had total and complete confidence that we were good people, that we meant well by their family, that we would look out for their children, we were still a threat to their comfort. We, were, we would still double the amount of people living in their house. We were a threat to their bills. We would double the amount of laundry that needed to get done, food that needed to get bought, electricity that needed to be used. 
Every time you do something for somebody else to put a foot forward in their mission, to help them a lot in their mission, you do it at a cost to yourself. You just do. That's why I believe so much that we need to be a community who intentionally are hospitable. Intentionally. We make a plan for how we can respond to people's needs. We make a plan for how we can contribute to the community and be open to bringing other people into that community. It's just like Isaiah says. This is one of my favorite verses. I haven't used it in so long. Isaiah 32, 8 says, A generous man devises a generous plan, and on generosity he shall stand. Generosity is a foundation by which you can stand on and you can build your entire life on. And it doesn't seem like it works, but God makes it work every single time. Because but you, it's, it's a plan. It does not just happen. The kind of community that builds itself by building up others does not happen on accident. Nobody accidentally does the thing that is not in their immediate best interest. Our natural bend is always going to be toward ourselves. But when you live your life intentionally about other people and you're not concerned with how it might come back on you, just like how Jesus says in Luke 14, when you give a banquet, don't worry about how it's going to come back on you. When you live that way, you're doing it right. And you may not always see what you're building by loving people that way, but you are building something. Don and I, earlier this year, we had a chance to go back to Nashville. I wish I had better pictures than this. I, don't have very good, I didn't take very good pictures while we were there, but we, just, we took some pictures and we got to see their family. And we had the opportunity to spend a couple days with Kenny and Deborah. Um, um, they live in Nashville now when they're not in Haiti. And we had a blast. We made homemade pizzas just like we used to do when we'd stay with them. You know, it was just a memory thing. Uh, and then they taught our kids how to do cartwheels because our little kids didn't know how to do cartwheels and their kids taught them how to do them. And we watched them love on our kids the same way that they loved on us for all of these years. And one thing that I realized during that time is that just through the simple willingness to be hospitable to people, to treat them not as outsiders but as guests in their home, not as threats, but as friends. Their fingerprints are all over the work being done in Detroit, all over the work being done everywhere that we've ever traveled, all the work being done in all the other places that other people went because there's a lot of other people that they did the exact same thing to. We were at their house and there were like eight of us one trip and then they took on another family of four during that time and then they took on another um, two people, two other people at that time and their house wasn't even big. It was small. They just kept letting people in. But now they've watched all of these people from all of these places go out into doing, all around the world doing these amazing ministries. And they get to sit back and watch with satisfaction to know that I had a role in what God is doing through people's lives through these people. Last winter, they came and visited us. They came through for like one morning. He calls it, hey, I'm, it's crazy. I'm really close. Can we come have breakfast? So Don and I, we went to El Rancho around here. And then we walked into the church. This is outside of Curtis Church. I really want to get him to come speak. We haven't been able to lock that in yet, but eventually we will. Um, but you could tell as we were just walking him through the building and walking him through, show him the sanctuary. We all sat in here talking for a little while. What it meant for him to be here. It was kind of like when um, Pastor Brad and Stella were here last year. And for those of you who were with our, on our ministry team, um, they were here and they were like, man, this whole week we were here, our cup is so full. It's like this church is our church. It's just that you're in this place of, from people who you poured into forever. Like, in this see God be fruitful in that place, it's like, this church is our church. I think that is kind of what Kenny and Deborah felt on this tour. And I, and I think that's what John means when he says that there is no greater joy that I have than to see my children walking in the truth. 
So when they're here, right, and they see Don and I, who, who learned hospitable, hosp- hospitality the way that, like, from them, and they see us start doing that toward others, or at least trying our hardest to do that toward others, I, I think they feel that, like, wow, man, like, it, it computed, it made a difference. They actually heard it. They, 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 it applied. They have, there's another guy that they let live with them for years named Robert. Now he's a youth pastor down where they are in Nashville. It's like, wow, it worked. This thing called hospitality that was so incredibly inconvenient, it worked. And when they see others living out the way these things that they've demonstrated, it's like, wow, no greater joy than that. Their influence and, and the influence that they've had all over the world Again, I credit it more than anything to the hospitality, the way they opened their home to people and the way that they invited people into their lives. Uh, here's one more story, uh, and kind of related, but different person. I have no idea how I even remembered this uh, as I was preparing the sermon, but I did. I was, one Sunday uh, night, I was at Mount Hope Church. Mount Hope is our um, parent church in Lansing, Michigan. We grew up there. Uh, huge church probably 2,000 people in the sanctuary that night. And for whatever reason, I wasn't in the main service when I was supposed to, when it, when it started. I don't know, I was with the youth or I was working on a video. I don't remember. But what I do remember is I remember we slipped in the sanctuary kind of mid-message. I'm sure some of you can relate to that here. I see a lot of you <laughs> slipping in. Okay, sweet. I'm glad you're here. I, I, we slipped in and Mary Jo Williams was speaking. This, this, this is Dave, his, her, her husband. Um, he, I couldn't find a picture of her speaking. But Mary Jo is speaking. And we had been there for, and, and I'd never heard Mary Jo speak. She's the pastor's wife. And um, we hadn't been in there more than five minutes. And then she started talking about us, about Don and I and about our band. And she started talking about us and about the work we were doing around the country. And I had no clue she was going to do that. I didn't know that, that was going to happen at all. It just, all of a sudden she started talking about us. I was like, man, I'm glad I made it into the service for this. But what she did was she talked about what we did and the ministry that we do and made us sound a lot more spiritual than we ever felt or a lot better than we ever felt. But then she said these words to a room full of probably 2,000 people. She said, we should be supporting them. And I will never forget those words. I'll never forget them. Spoken from the pulpit from somebody who's rarely there. It was the only time I ever heard her speak, and she used that platform that she was rarely given to encourage this entire church to support us. And it wasn't like a pity support, like, oh, those poor kids, let's make them feel good. No, it was like, the work they're doing matters. Let's get behind them. Let's champion them. Let's help them. And let me tell you guys, to this day, that family, the Dave and Mary Jo Williams, and the ministry they have is courage, church, one of Courage Church's biggest supporters. They, if it were not for them, that backpack giveaway would have been half of what it was. Because they still believe in us. And they still believe in what's going on. It's, it, and that's just a reality, right? Because someone believed in us when maybe nobody else would. And before long, somebody else believed. And somebody else believed. And that's been done in our entire lives. We've lived our entire lives so dependent upon God bringing people into our lives who will play a role in moving us closer to our destiny. And closer to our destiny. And I tell you all of that, I tell you both of those stories to tell you this, and this goes for Kenny and Deborah, this goes for my parents, this goes for Pastor Dave, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Brad, the influences in our lives. But I can stand before you today and say without hesitation that I am who I am because good people believed in me. We are who we are because good people believed in us. We are here today because of that. Even when we're at our worst, even when we're a nuisance to people, they believed in us. 
And that is why we are so convinced at Courage Church that even though our mission right now, and you all know our mission is clear as day here in Detroit. We have a lot to do. The work will never, ever be done here. It will never be done. And we could put all of our attention and all of our effort and all of our money into this place exclusively, and we would be completely justified in doing that. Because we know the needs are never going to run out here. There's going to always be more needs than we could ever meet. There are still things that we haven't finished that we want to finish. But we still believe in the way that God is moving all over the place, all around the world. And we want to support people who are doing work like that. So I, I saw that video from Jerome, and I played that video for you guys from Jerome this morning uh, about this truck he wants to do. He wants to do this uh, Love the City truck. And what they want to do is they want to buy this truck, and they're in inner city in Lansing, and, and they want to throw block parties. They want to basically have like a traveling, adopted block church type amazing thing where they want to have a sound system and all that, do outreaches, throw parties, and they're trying to raise $55,000 to do this. And I, I don't know, maybe someday he'll bring it out and throw a block party for us. I don't know. But we may never ever even see this truck. We may never have anything to do with this truck. But I think to some degree we should be a part of helping them do this truck. We should plant a seed. We, have, we, we, we should do that. I think we should support them. And I'm just throwing this out there because I know we have a lot of things going ourselves. But we do have a missions department that Bill and Curran talked to you about today. And then we have missions giving on our app. And just this week, whatever comes in for missions, I'm gonna send, we're going to send to them for the truck. It'd be great to send them $500. We can't pay for all of it. Please don't give all of it unless God really, really, he was like, we still got, we still got reconciliation tables to build. No, but, but I want to plant seeds. You know, do. If God tells you to do it, do it. Like when I saw that and I saw they were doing it and I, I remember having him, he drove out a few weeks ago and we talked about what he wants to do and I saw his, just his passion and how much he wants to help people through this truck, and the work could be done. It, it matters to plant seeds in other people, and I want to help them buy it. Even if it's $500, $1,000, please, let's do something for them. Let's help the gospel move forward in that way. I want, to, I want to be a blessing, and I want to play a role in that. They've played a role in a lot of what we've done. We know in our church, there's likely going to come a time when we're going to need to do something like this too. When we're going to have to, when we're going to, have to be like, okay, God, you just dropped something amazing in our lap, and we've got to raise some money. And I think there's something to be said about seeds in times where we're not doing that, so that when the time comes, God will honor that. Hey, while you looked out for other people, I'm going to make sure that all of your needs are met. And not, not, because, not because they come from those people, because they're an inner city church too, but because God honors generosity. So while we're in this place right now, we're like, hey, what's next? Let's plant some seeds, and let's see what God does in their lives in, in return for, and also for us. And then the other thing that's really big that I want to encourage our church in today as we're supporting others, and I want you to, I want to lay this framework now um, so we can start building up to October. Because in October, we're going to be hosting three, possibly four missionaries uh, here in Detroit. They're going to come and they're going to do Sunday services, or two of them at least are. Um, they're going to teach us, they're going to tell us their stories, they're going to show us what we invest in, because we invest in missionaries every single month. You might not know that. You know, it's not a ton, but we invest in missionaries every single month. And honestly, I want you to be praying now about what you can do to make that month great for these missionaries. Between now and October, I want you to pray, God, what can I give? And I'm not giving this, I'm still tithing, I'm still doing the church thing. Don't let, uh, don't let the church like sink so that you can, we can give to missionaries. But when we give to missions, we give above. We say, God, what can we do? What, what space can we create so that we can help somebody else do more? 
And so I want you to pray about that. My goal is that our church together raises $3,000 more for these missionaries so that when they come, we can give all of them enough to be like, wow, I'm better off than I was when I got here. Um, one of them has to come from a long ways away, and it could cost them more than that if we, you know, I want to bless these people. And I don't know how that's going to happen because I know we have enough ministries going on and I know our city missions are going great and we're still working on that. But I think that it will happen and I want this to be the new normal for our church. We bless people. We support people. We bring people in and we send them out better. Listen, this is why I'm so convicted on this. Our church has a huge vision. A huge vision. And we saw some of that really play, come into play this, this last um, this last month. I mean, it was amazing. And I'm like, God, can we get this every single week? What's it going to take to get there? And I don't know what it's going to take. It's going to just take Jesus doing a miracle. It's going to take all of us coming together and working together to do that. But we have a big vision. And we have so many potential things on the way. And in the works. We have people who are investing in the work being done here. Every summer, more missions teams come. It's great. But we want more for our church here than we have right now. And I just so clearly believe that if we want more, then we need to plant more. We need to invest more into what others are doing. You'll never lose when you invest in other people. It's impossible to lose. You'll never end up feeling like you lost when you gave something to a missionary. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but I believe that we will. And I know that we need to do it. Look at what this verse says. Uh, this is verse, um, verse 6 of Third John. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What John is saying is that you guys have been so hospitable, you've been so good to these missionaries that who have come in your midst, but listen, you're going to do well for this. Your church will do well if you send them off with enough support that, that actually they feel taken care of. They're actually able to go on with the mission without crippling themselves or going into debt. They're able to move forward without stalling because you were the miracle in their lives. And then through them, they were the miracle in so many other people's lives. And John says, when we do that for them, we will do well. So, the people coming in October so far, again, I'm working on one more. Hopefully, hopefully we're working, we can get somebody to come, but um, it's not confirmed yet. But the people who are coming so far, October 7th, are Mark Anthony and Erica Lycia. Uh, uh, and they, for those of you who remember them, they're our, our missionaries to Cuba. And they, they're back from Cuba now. They just did a year there. Uh, they just got home. Uh, some of you may remember the day a couple years ago when we had no power at the church. And we had, so we said, we're going to have house church. And he was here that day. I was actually going to have him speak that day. But instead, um, we just had house church. So he just did life with us at community. We did breakfast. And he shared a little bit about his mission then. Um, so they're going to be back. And they're going to tell us about what we supported for what happened in Cuba. Still working on Sunday, October 14th. Waiting to hear back for sure. Uh, uh, and then, then on Tuesday, October 16th, and I've been waiting to announce this, but it's a really important day. I want you to mark your calendars. I know it's a Tuesday. I know it's a weird day to come to church. I know it's not even our midweek service, but we're going to be hosting a speaker named Shane Willard. And Shane is, you probably don't know this because you don't know his name most likely, but he's probably the person I quote the most from the pulpit. With, with the exception of Pastor Brad. I probably quote Pastor Brad the very most, and Shane would be the second. Shane is one of Pastor Brad's friends, one of Pastor Brad's mentors, and he speaks all around the world, literally all year long. He's not even going to be in America again until October, and he's going to come do this night with us. And I, it was, I couldn't believe we got him. I'm amazed that he's coming. 
It's really, really amazing. He's one of the best teachers I've heard in my entire life. But his ministry also has orphanages all around the world. His ministry has facilities that rescue people from, from human trafficking all around the world. They're doing so much good all around the world. And he'll tell you something about that, and then I'm going to have him teach us about the Bible, because, man, that guy is the Bible. He's amazing. It's awesome. And we want to support him. And then finally, October 21st, we have Scott Thompson speaking. And I want to say this about Scott Thompson. Pastor Scott was the missions director at Mount Hope Church for many, many years. And he has literally been Courage Church's biggest advocate. He helped us by the Courage House. He made, he made a lot of moves to make it work so that he was hugely instrumental in us getting that house. And now as he begins this new journey, as he and his wife are going to be going and serving in the Asia Pacific, he is now in a place where we get to support him. And I want you to be praying about that and thinking about that because this is a person who has made a huge impact. He's never even been here and he's made, his fingerprints are all over it. He's one of those guys. And I want to be a huge blessing to him next month. I want to be a huge blessing to all of them next month while we still continue to do the work here at Courage. And I know some of you are thinking, how do we do that? How do we keep the work going here at Courage while we still support all these people? I, I just, I believe that God is faithful. That's how we do it. During that series, uh, either Don or I or the two of us together will try to also do one package, like this is the city mission, this is where we're going. There's a lot of things that have been happening, and, we're, and a lot of things we're sorting through that we want to communicate to you guys. So there'll at least be one message in that series on the mission side here. So, because uh, there's been a lot of traction, and it's been really, really good. And I know today was a bit different, and I know, warned you that it would be, but I just wanted to encourage you guys. Our church is a conduit of the love of God all around the world. We already are, and I'm convicted more than anything at all. That the more intentionally we love and serve the world, the more God will align for us the resources that we need to do what we need to do here. And I'm going to close with this verse. It's 3 John verse 11. It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And I want to just encourage you guys today that we all imitate something. As much as we all want to be original and there's good, there's good things to that, so we're intentional with that, but the reality is to one degree or another we will always imitate something. So we need to be intentional with what it is that we imitate. Paul says in uh, Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not copy, not steal, but imitate, be like, learn from, model ourselves based off of the way that Christ is. If we can set our eyes on what it is that we want to be, we want to be like Christ, then we can imitate that. Eventually, we will be like that. And John says, look, guys, it's easy to imitate evil. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy to not care about other people. It's easy to live for yourselves, to not let anybody in, to keep what you worked for, and to not support people who you barely see anyway. But it is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is, I will give up my life for you because I love you so much. I will lay down everything for your sins, even though I lived without sin, because the wages of sin is death, and somebody needs to do it, and I love you enough that I will be the one who does that. That is the way of Jesus. And I want us to ask ourselves this one question today. What can you lay down in your life for someone else today? Imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. 
I'm going to take good. 